This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, making whole grain oats, flours, and other natural ingredients at the heart of proper nutrition for athletes. Today, we're talking about chia. Now, long before children of the 80s and 90s were raising chia pets, chia seeds were a staple in the diets of the ancient Mayans and Aztec cultures. And if you're looking for a way to improve your own nutrition, you should take a good hard look at chia. The word itself is derived from the Mayan word for strength, and Aztec warriors used to rely on these superfoods for energy and endurance. The really great thing about chia seeds, however, is how many nutrients they pack into so few calories. Calcium, iron, magnesium, and a bunch of other micronutrients. Chia seeds are also a good source of antioxidants, plus omega-3 fatty acids, omega-6 fatty acids, and they have 5 grams of fiber and only about 70 calories per tablespoon and a tablespoon is a lot of chia seeds. Of course, all this is worthless if you don't want to eat them, which is why Bob's Red Mill has a bunch of recipes on its website. Chia puddings, chia smoothies, even chia fresca, a summer drink like lemonade, but without all the sugar. Personally, I just mix a spoonful of them into yogurt. That's an outside podcast original recipe. If you have trouble remembering the details, just tweet at me and I'll send it to you. Find more recipes at bobsredmill.com. Hey everybody, so a while back we gave you a survey, and one of the things you told us in that survey was that you wanted an easy way to keep up with what we're doing at the show. And now, finally, we have an answer. The Outside Dispatch. It's an email newsletter that once a month is all about the podcast and other audio projects. It features our newest episodes, previews of what's coming up, and some peeks behind the scenes. You'll also get updates on other big stories outside his publishing. To get it, go to outsideonline.com newsletter and check the box for dispatch. That's outsideonline.com newsletter. From Outside Magazine and PRX, these are dispatches. Stories from our writers in the field. If you've ever dreamed of writing books or long-form magazine articles, Katie Arnold's life is the stuff of fairy tales. She started it outside as an intern, worked her way onto a staff job, and then kept moving up. All the way up. Way up. Keep going. To become the managing editor. Then, as can happen with editors, she left to focus on writing, and in March published her first book, the memoir Running Home. Katie had always been a runner but was never too serious about it. But after she turned 40, she began racing ultras and did really well. In fact, she started landing sponsors. And then last August, she won the Leadville 100, an iconic event in Colorado that takes runners up to 12,600 feet. But her memoir isn't entirely about running fast. It's also about how running has helped her through the grief of her father's death and the depression she faced after the birth of her first daughter and the anxiety she battled after being attacked on a trail near her home in Santa Fe. Recently, Katie sat down for a talk with a couple of people who know a lot about the way endurance sports can change our lives. Sarah Bowen Shea is the host of the Another Mother Runner podcast, and Yuri Hoswald is an endurance mountain biker and gravel rider. The conversation took place in Berkeley, California, at the headquarters of Goo Energy Labs, two days after the Marin Ultra Challenge, a race that Katie happened to win. But what Sarah and Yuri wanted to hear first was the crazy story of how Katie came to run her first marathon while writing a profile of ultramarathoner Dean Karnazes. Here's Katie. 
I have been a runner my whole life, but just shorter distances and just kind of for fun and on my own, like a, like a private thing I would do. Um, but outside magazine in 2006, um, wanted, assigned me to do a story about Dean Carnassus. Um, and he was doing his 50 marathons in 50 States in 50 days, um, campaign or you know project and so he was coming through Albuquerque that was his New Mexico stop it was like number 26 and um, you know my style of writing is to just do what they do and to throw myself into the the world of my subjects and so I called Dean and I said you know I'd really like to run with you and do the interview while we're running and I'll meet you six miles from the end and Dean's like no no meet me at the start and, you know, it was Dean and he had his whole program and who was I to say no. So I said, sure, Dean. And we get there and, you know, they weren't all organized marathons, but it was all a marathon distance. So this was during the week and it wasn't a formal marathon. So there was a small entourage with Dean, you know, some some pals, some local runners and me. And I had my digital voice recorder I love that detail around <laughs> my neck, <laughs> like a good <laughs> reporter. <laughs> and um, yeah, but bump, like slapping me in the face. Yeah. And so we just started. And, you know, I, I said to Dean, like, I'm going to interview while we while we run. And he was keeping a very moderate pace because he was doing so many marathons in a row. And so what's um, a moderate pace, though? I mean, I'll tell you at the end. OK. And right. um, <laughs> and so um, but I said, Dean, I'm just going to peel off after a certain distance. Like, I'm for sure going to peel off and we'll do the interview and then I'll catch you at the finish. And he's like, OK. And so we're running and talking and running and talking and running and talking. And Dean is so charismatic. If you've known Dean or met him or seen him speak, he's just like this dynamo. And um, we I was talking and running the voice recorder and then I forgot to run the voice recorder, but it didn't matter because it was just, you know, we were just flowing along. And, you know, next thing I know, we get to, Dean's like, we got to turn around here. We're at the halfway mark. And so I'd run 13 miles and there, you know, there was no way to get back except just to (laughs) run the way back. And I really didn't feel like I was tired or that I wanted to stop because Dean was so, his energy was so infectious. And um, so along the way, Dean had told me, I was like, well, what's your secret? You know, how do you keep going? Because he would run hundred, you know, hundred miles overnight and he'd order, like he'd call Pizza Hut and say, meet me on the corner of X and Y. And they'd come with the pizza or he'd run through the the drive-thru at Taco Bell and um, I loved his energy I was like that is my style (laughs) and so we just kept running and you know next thing I know like it was exactly four hours later there's the finish line and you know small like a very modest crowd like his wife and they had their kids in an RV they were going to Oklahoma in the morning for their next run so they couldn't hang out (laughs) and that was it I just run my first marathon and I said Dean I just you know do you know what I just did? I just ran a marathon and it was my first and he thought that was the greatest thing. And that launched me. I mean, I really didn't do anything with it for a while, but I put that away and I think his words really stuck with me and they're true. I mean, you just can always go a little bit farther and you can walk. You don't have to be fast. You know, you can walk, get to the next tree, then give yourself another marker. And, and I, my style of that is I sort of break it down. So like aid station to aid station or little chunk to little chunk it makes yeah. it more manageable yeah so chunk. dean is awesome because he he's the real deal and um he's a big part of the story why i'm here now so so katie your pr- memoir is so much about progression whether mm-hmm. it's the stages of motherhood with your two young daughters your father thinking he'd make progress yeah um toward better health even when he was speaking with a hospice nurse or you moving from 50k to 50 miler to 
100K race. So did you see the progression as a through line as you're writing the book? That's a great question. Yes. I mean, progression rather than end results has always been um, kind of how I see life. Like kind of there's a line in the book too that where I have this moment where I realize that even if you don't know where you're going or what you're doing right now isn't working, everything takes you to the next place. So whether it's something that's a really hard challenge and it didn't go well or it's something you're worried about not going well, it's still going to move the mark and it's still taking you someplace that you can't possibly know. And that's a big theme in the book is that, you know, I never set out, um, the book began after my father passed away quite suddenly from cancer and I was, um, in, you know, grieving and I tried all these different things cause I had, I came down with real acute anxiety, uh, that I was dying too. And, and that's, um, coincided with the birth of my daughter, which is all, you know, being, coming a new parent is, an, you know, all about worrying. I mean, there's a new level of worry that you never have experienced. And, and so, um, running was what I turned to, but it was not premeditated. Like my father died, I'm grieving. Now I'm going to turn to long distance, ultra distance and heal myself and write a book. You know, it was, that's the progression now, but you only see it when you, you, when you have distance and time, but literally distance from it. And so, um, I just did, um, one step in front of the other, you know, one step in front of the next and forward, even when I didn't know where I was going. And that's a, um, a progression and it's a practice to trust that even if you don't know where you're going, if you keep moving forward, um, that it will lead you somewhere. So not to, to dwell on a sad topic, you and I talked earlier about some common threads that we share in our lives, living in Santa Fe, being endurance athletes, but the really unfortunate one is we have both lost our fathers to cancer, um, and that has helped me as an athlete. Um, and you have a passage in your book that I want to read to folks, and I'm wondering if then we can sort of expound upon um, how we deal with that grief sure. as athletes. Running is the last thing I feel like doing, but I make myself go. I need to feel the sun on my skin, to see the mountain in the same old place to the north and east of town, all their bumps and pleats, to run the trails I know by heart. I start off fast so I don't have to think, but the tears catch me after half a mile, and I lean over, crying so hard I can't breathe. I know for me, the bicycle helped me process the grief I felt around my father's death. My wife's also a stage four colon cancer survivor. So a lot of things to, to deal with in process. Um, but I'm wondering if you can just explain what running meant to you um, in dealing with your father's passing. Yeah, um, I mean, it meant so much to me. On one hand, it's just the motion of running, just the physical act of moving your body and getting out of your head. Um, and so the rational brain can become irrational in grief. And um, my brain was telling me that I was dying. And that was just the way I um, felt my grief, I guess. And so running, when I would run, I would get out of that worry brain. And I would literally run myself into my physical body and into that um, state 
where you can leave your thoughts behind. And for all of you who are runners or not even runners, but athletes or have that thing you love to do when you become so absorbed in it, you, you leave your thoughts behind. Um, that's what I was able to do. And so running gave me that relief from that just worry loop that like I had X form of cancer or this. I mean, I could just get whatever someone else had just by listening to them. And so, so the physical action, you know, the embodiment I felt when I ran um, was, was a great relief and great comfort. And then, you know, being in wilderness. So I'm not a, a real road runner. For me, the solace is in being in nature where things are so much bigger than you are and not in a way that makes you feel insignificant or small, but in a way that makes you feel connected. And so I would go out and just be fed um, by the trees and, um, you know, just the mountains and feeling a part of something bigger that, could that was big enough to hold my grief. So it was both of those things. It was running and the wilderness. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks. Alex, should we wait while the train goes by? Okay. It's like the birds. <laughs> it's like the birds. It's just yeah. the birds. It's like Snow White. Yeah. <laughs> so I've heard it said about ultra runners, they're always running from something. <laughs> That's a great um, having read your new memoir, it seems to me that statement holds true. Ah. Uh, would you agree? <laughs> there are some days when I'm running from things like the dishes in the sink or deadlines <laughs> or, you know, something that happened in my family. But um, no, I think, I think, for the most part, maybe when I was first grieving, I was running from those thoughts. But I'm really, I believe that running, I'm, I'm running toward myself as a person and the life I want to live and, you know, my, my potential, but also my creativity. I mean, I always, running, like I said, is so linked to writing for me. And so I'm, when I run, I literally feel the ideas coming up through my feet through the dirt. And so I feel that running, you know, is very much running toward toward who I am, my true self, and, and, and the life that I'm, I've made for myself. Hmm. Hmm. Nice. Um, so could you talk a little bit more about that? I was intrigued that in your book you talk about that um, you really felt like it was postpartum anxiety mm -hmm. that was really at the core of mm -hmm. all this. And that to me, as I was reading the book, was kind of a revelation. To me, it felt like so much of it was tied up with your grief of, uh, and everything you went through with your father. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about the, the postpartum yeah, anxiety. Yeah, it's hard to separate all of them because it really was this mashup of, of grief um, profound grief at the loss of my father with whom I was very close even though we didn't I didn't grow up with him in the house we were kindred spirits um, creatively and um, he very much taught me how to see the world and um, as a photographer did to really take note and and pay attention which is such a gift was such a gift to me as a writer um, and so it was it was first of all it was grief and you know my daughter was two or three months old and so like right after you give birth you you know your hormones are everywhere and um, so that certainly played in and then I think it was a little bit of that like you know midlife mortality you know existential crisis of realizing oh my god actually like people die and like we all are gonna die and um, which sounds so dark but that's just you know it was just all together but the postpartum the anxiety um, you know, I, 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 
I did feel that that was part of it, but I think it was just all, it was my way of grieving, I guess, or my way of trying to hold on to my father was feeling that I was dying too. I don't know. It was intense. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, you talk about paying attention just in mm -hmm. your last answer there, and that leads me to the next question here. And it, once again, I'm going to quote your book because I highlighted I up that. your book when I read Thanks, it. Yuri. Yeah, totally. Um, you say, for me, flow has never been only about running. It's about paying attention. And I, for those of you that don't know, Katie, when she runs, she has two words written on her hands, <laughs> and that's smile and flow. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about that? About the words? Yeah, sure. All of that. Yeah. Um, so the flow state, as you know, is, is written about a lot. And um, but it's that state of hyper attention to when, you know, you're all your senses are firing and you're you're just super aware of your environment. You're very present. Um, it feels like time either slows down or speeds up. And um, it's a it's just a very amazing feeling to be in flow because you feel like you're in sync with what I was saying before that sort of larger force in nature and um, so um, I guess it started I mean I, I usually write things on my hands it's not always smile and flow but uh, before I went to Leadville I did their training camp and so I was there in June running the course and I had my first day was a good day but I was constantly looking at my watch and trying to figure out how far I'd gone um, and how far I had left to go and it was a marathon distance um, and it it, it was fine. I did. I had a great day, but I what didn't enjoy it. It felt very sticky, like I was just trying to rush time, and um, so I went into the next day, which was a, tr a run over Hope Pass, which is the biggest climb on Leadville's course, and I wanted to do it differently because I didn't, you know, I I I, I run because I love the feeling of running, and I love just being in motion in nature and I hadn't loved it that much that day and so I wanted to see if I could ride the natural flow of the mountains because I believe that you know there is that that and if we can tap into it 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 we can be stronger than we think we are and it can carry us and so on that second day at Leadville camp um I did that and I just tapped into some intense flow state and um I got to the end and I and this guy near me was like, well, you know, where is your motor? And I didn't think, I just answered. I said, it's in the river beneath my feet. <laughs> and he looked at me like I was cuckoo. And I don't know where that came from, except that, you know, water is a very powerful force in my life. And I did believe, I, I felt that I was, you know, riding some, some a river. And, and so I knew that that's the feeling I wanted going into the race at Leadville and that if I could run from that flow state that I would have an amazing day. And I didn't necessarily think I would win and that wasn't even top of mind, but I knew I would have the very best day that I could have. And um, so sure enough at Leadville, um, before I got there, it's really important to have that run before a race or a big effort where you feel exactly like in your body and aligned and, and so you can put that into your muscle memory for race day and so I knew that that was the day and I just would have to remember that and so sure enough on Leadville race morning I just found a sharpie and I wrote smile and flow and smile because there is science behind smiling um, you know during physical effort that it it dulls the perceived effort 
um, and flow because I'd felt that flow. And so it became this crazy perfect feedback loop on my hand in Sharpie because the more I smiled, the more I flowed, and the more I flowed, the more I smiled. And, and the people around me were getting that vibe too. So I would come into aid stations and people would be smiling and then I'd be flowing and they were flowing. And it was just <laughs> this, I don't know, it was this amazing convergence. So it really worked. It was like a 20 hour flow state. And I had thought that I would eventually come out, you know, beforehand. I didn't expect it to be 20 hours. And um, somehow I just stayed, I stayed in it. And I mean, it was, it was amazing. So wow. now that's my mantra. Smile and flow. Smile and flow. Yeah, that's a good one for yeah. sure. Does, does smile come first or does flow come first? It, it smile came first that day, but like on Saturday um, at the Marin Ultra Challenge, I just wrote flow mm. um, because I didn't want to just rip off my old mantra. And like, because part of it too is letting things go. I mean, Leadville was on a different level. Like that kind of day you have, maybe I'll have it again. I, I'm sure I'll have it in a different form. But um, I like to, again, back to progression, keep progressing. Um, what's the new mantra? Don't always cling to the old because that's a, a form of suffering. You know, with the whole smile and flow thing, there's a lot of, uh, we talked earlier about Alex Hutchinson's book, Endure. For those of you who haven't read it, it's a really amazing book. And the power of the brain. Mm -hmm. um, when you're smiling and flowing, are you doing a lot of positive self-talk? Because there's a lot of studies behind positive mm -hmm. self-talk and how that can help our performances too because we're the first to be super critical of ourselves yeah. when we're out there so yeah I, d I do um positive self-talk <laughs> and I don't um I did it when I was smiling and flowing but I really came to it um a few races earlier in the spring last year I was doing a local race in New Mexico as a training run and I didn't have I showed up super last minute I signed up like two days before and I didn't have my my family there to help I didn't have um crew and the volunteers are amazing but I still didn't know anyone really and I it was my first um ultra since I broke my leg and so I had a lot of fear and uh, my doctor's voice was in my head and he's like you know it said I, sh I should never run again and so there was anxiety around that and um about seven miles in I was I was feeling enough anxiety that I just started talking to myself out loud. Like, so not in the head, but out loud. And I was, I would just, these words, again, they weren't premeditated. It was like, and I was just saying like, I'm proud of you. You're awesome. I love you. And I was saying these things out loud and it really was amazing. I was saying the things that I wanted other people to say to me, but I think deep down that I needed to say to myself. And so I've since done that. Um, and I'll just talk right out loud. And I did that at, at the Moab race and I was running in a pack of like three other guys and <laughs> we were on slick rock and so there's a lot of route finding because there's nothing to hang the flags on so we were having to work together to not get lost and I was running you know and I was like you're awesome you're doing great and the guy next to me was like do I look that bad <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like no I'm, I'm t actually talking to myself <laughs> and then it gave me even a stranger look <laughs> but it's really it's really helpful like just say it right out loud it's it's kind of more powerful. Yeah. You're like having a little dialogue. We'll pick that up in just a second after a word from Bob's Red Mill. Okay, so at the top of the show, we talked about Bob's Red Mill chia seeds and all their micronutrients and how good for you they are. But to be honest, the real reason to eat chia seeds is that they help you feel full. Chia seeds soak up any liquid you put them in, so they expand in your stomach. And to get them into your stomach in a tasty way, just add three tablespoons of chia seeds to a cup of milk, cut up a banana, and add some vanilla extract. Let it sit overnight, 
And you've got a toothsome breakfast that leaves you full of superfoods, not sugar. Find more recipes and ideas at bobsredmail.com. Now, back to Katie Arnold, Sarah Bonchet, and Yuri Hoswald. Uh, let's talk about the injury that you didn't talk too much mm-hmm. about in the book. Mm-hmm. And I'm tempted to start maybe calling you Quadzilla because, <laughs> yeah, <I know>. no, <laughs> because the doctor said your quadriceps were so strong <laughs> that it snapped your patella yeah. just running along. Yes. So for those of you who haven't read her book yet, um, she was just running along, JRA, right? Just running along. JRA, I've never yeah. heard of That's for riding. We use that, J- just riding along uh, and something happens. JRA. Oh. JRA. But uh, you were just JRA, just running along, and you broke your patella. Yes. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, so that was um, 2014, and I had just done um, the Trans Rockies stage race and won that, and it, it was coming off of it. And my goal was just to run through. So like, I didn't want to make racing such a big deal that it took me out of running. And so I thought I'd recovered enough. And um, I was out running on this pretty flat rail trail and um, kind of pushing my pace a little bit, um, kind of in my head a little bit, like imagining like, you know, that I was, vi- I was visualizing. visualizing yeah. I was, I was visualizing the JFK Here comes 50. Katie the yes, line. I did. I was doing that like narration. Which now I realize my dad did that a lot, like fake sportscaster. Um, but I was doing that, and I hear this really crazy sound, like paper tearing. And it's co- I'm listening through my earbuds because I listen to music sometimes, and it's coming from my own body, and it's in my knee. And um, I didn't know what had happened, and my knee started to swell. I had to limp back to my car. I didn't get in to see the doctor for a couple of weeks, and he's like, "So tell me what happened. Did you, you know, did you fall? Did you?" And I was like, "No, I was JRA," and um, I heard this noise, and he's like, "Cause you broke your kneecap, and it was this freak avulsion fracture where your um, your muscle contracts and breaks your knee, and you know." I mean, I don't have like huge quads or anything, but that was my first real injury. And little did I know it would be the easy one (laughs) because I didn't need surgery. And the doctor was so, couldn't believe I'd been walking around on a broken kneecap. You know, he's like, you ultra runners. It speaks volumes about your pain tolerance. Yes, I, I I have a high pain tolerance. So how long were you out of things with that injury? That was eight weeks, which paled in comparison to, I mean, and I was bearing weight and... Mm-hmm. And impales in comparison to well, in 2016, I was in a wilderness river accident, and mm-hmm. where we a raft flipped, and I went over in the salmon middle fork of the salmon river, and I um, broke my tibial plateau on this side, mm-hmm. and um, that so the was the other leg, same leg. Oh, same leg. Okay, my my precious leg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Um, but after yeah, it was 14 weeks non you know on crutches and and surgery and that's when the doctor was like if I were you I'd never run again and you know it was like echoing in my head for a long time mm-hmm. and um, mm. I didn't listen. <laughs> Good. That was his Good. Story. spoiler that alert. Was his story that was not going to be mine. He just was like super dismissive. Like find a new hobby and you, know. you need to send him a copy of your book. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Um, so changing tact a little bit late in your book, you write a bit about running causing marital strife in your home life. Um, you said Steve's resentment is growing with my mileage. And this was before you even trained for, you know, kind of some of your, your hundred mile race. Um, so this is, you know, something a lot of mother runners Mm -hmm. can relate to no matter what distance they're training for father runners too. I bet. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, any advice for folks? Um, 
I just would communicate and, you know, lay out your goals. And I say that and I didn't really do that. <laughs> so that's the sheepish look on my face. I mean, I didn't, a lot of the times I didn't know why I was running so far. And that's, I think, the source of the irritation that, you know, that Steve felt was, um, and he's a really tolerant guy and he would, ne we have the kind of marriage where it's like we give each other the freedom. So he'll go backcountry skiing in British Columbia or fly fishing and I'll run. And it's really important to us. But um, I couldn't articulate why I was running so much. And he would just be like, why are you going? What is this for? And I would just say, I don't know what it's for, but I know it's more than about more than running. And it really always was. And what I realized at the end of the book is that I had been writing the book, you know, while running. And that's what it had been for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have an awesome quote in your book. I'm quoting all this book. I you love can that. See it. I know. I, I was like I was in school again, highlighting, so, highlighting I, my book. It's a writer's um, dream. But this, uh, I mean, this it speaks to all athletes, runners, cyclists, swimmers. Um, you say anybody can be a runner. You don't have to be fast. You don't have to know anything. You just have to start small and break it down. Yeah. That's such a like good mantra yeah. for life, for yeah. everything in life. Yeah. I wonder if you can just expound on that a little I, bit. I mean, I, I, I learned that a little bit um, as a writer for Outside. I would go on assignment, and I had a little stint where I was covering some climbers, and um, most notably Steph Davis, who's an amazing female climber, and then her late ex-husband, Dean Potter. And, you know, I thought that climbers just looked at a route and climbed it. And, um, but actually they break it down and they practice their, um, moves. And if you've seen free solo, you know that, and you've seen Alex, I love his notebooks, but he would keep those exhaustive notebooks about the moves. And, um, so they would break it down. And I kind of got that from them is that break it down and, um, take something big and make it into little bits that are easier. And I use that with my daughters, like, when we have we live in Santa Fe on a, and we our driveway's a hill and like everything in Santa Fe it's dirt and it's sort of rutted and it's washboardy and it's you know it was hard when they were learning to ride their bikes to go down it because they would sort of get going and then wipe out and so we just had them break it down we started at the bottom and moved up and um it's just good for everything yeah take like at Leadville I wasn't running 100 miles I was running to the next aid station you can do that in any race or any hard effort, whether it's sports or writing a book, like one chapter after the next. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think it's a helpful motto. That's Katie Arnold. Her book is Running Home, and it's available now. Sarah Bowen Shea is the host of Another Mother Runner, a comprehensive resource for all female runners. Find it at anothermotherrunner.com. And thanks to the whole AMR team for sharing this interview with us. About half of you listening to this are women, and the rest of you likely know some. So go subscribe to their podcast. It's chatty and fun, and you'll learn something. This episode was produced by Alex Ward, Mike Roberts, and me, Peter Vickery. It was brought to you by Bob's Red Mill. Find the ingredients you should be cooking with and learn how they can help you reach your goals as an athlete at bobsredmill.com. The Outside Podcast is a production of Outside Magazine and PRX. We'll be back in two weeks. <laughs>